Welcome to Doing Good Business, the podcast where personal and professional development meet. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach and talent acquisition consultant, and I'm joined every week by my co-host, Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, training you to bring positive business practices into any company. Doing Good Business is the podcast that teaches you that doing good business is not only possible, it's profitable. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Doing Good Business. We are so excited to be back. Kelly and I had an amazing summer break, and I don't think that we could have hand-selected a better episode to launch our second season. We are really, really excited today to welcome Jennifer Brown to the Doing Good Business podcast. Jennifer is a leader in the diversity and inclusion space. She is an author and a speaker, and I am going to actually just welcome you Jennifer, and and let you share a little bit more with our amazing audience about who it is you are. Well, thanks, Lauren Kelly, for having me on. Yeah, I have been a business owner in the diversity and inclusion consulting space for over a decade. And my team is all over the country. We service Fortune 500 companies around their diversity strategy needs. So my team on any given day is either delivering training or meeting with executives or presenting an approach. Um, and so we really, really are in the thick of this conversation. Um, for me, I spend a lot of my time these days uh, keynoting. I love to speak. I was an opera singer years ago before I did any of this. So I grew up fun on Fun fact. Yeah, I know. Fun <laughs> fact. And um, that's what brought me to New York City. And I've stayed since then. And um, so I speak most often. And I also also author. So my second book is coming out. August of 2019 called How to Be an Inclusive Leader. My first book was called Inclusion, came out two weeks after the elections of 2016. So that was an interesting time. Wow. Um, you writing on very this topic. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. but, and we will link to, we'll link to oh. both of those books in the show notes so yes. folks can easily grab them. That would be great. And um, yeah, and so we're rocking and rolling. I mean, there's so much interest in this topic right now and there has been the last couple of years i've really noticed an uptick and there's a lot of reasons for that we could talk about if you'd like and uh, Mm -hmm. but i'm just grateful for it because you know it's obviously a passion of mine it's a personal commitment of mine and yet i felt there were many years there where i was you know growing this company but we the topic was still viewed as a nice to have and sort of Mm -hmm. discretionary and so that that has really started to change in the last couple of years so i'm thrilled as a business owner but even more so thrilled as an advocate who really wants to see uh, institutions and people change and take this seriously. Awesome. Awesome. We love all of that. And, you know, we were all talking a little bit before we started the episode, but last year, Kelly and I did an episode on inclusion and really our, our feeling on the subject is, you know, people like to lump in diversity and inclusion, or they put them in that order, or they use the terms interchangeably and and our belief is really that inclusion has to come first. Um, so I was curious about your thoughts on, you know, DNI, D versus I, ID. You know, what order do things in? <laughs> what do you think about how to do how to do things if you were talking to a leader? Yeah, you're right. It has evolved, and some companies are doing big I, little D these days. So mm-hmm. they're actually really not only leading with inclusion, but they are making the same point you just made, which is. Without an inclusive environment, you can bring diversity in, but you can't keep it. So it becomes an issue of culture, environment, and retention at the end of the day. And we still are really struggling with retention. I mean, the numbers are very flat for retention of women and people of color and other minorities, particularly sort of mid-career at that critical time when we really don't want people to be leaving. You know, we want them to be moving into senior leadership roles, which is really what, what gets measured so much. 
so we still, we have a major kind of culture problem, I'd say. Um, Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And hmm. I love that quote. Uh, I remind leaders that it is all about what the environment feels like once people come in and whether they're whether mm-hmm. they are so relaxed, they feel that they belong and they're welcomed and heard in such an authentic way that they are uh, they're committed to their employer. Therefore, they believe that they can not only stay but thrive, you know, and be very supported to thrive. And um, there's still a lot of people who aren't really feeling that in the modern workforce. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I, I know because yeah, we do a lot of focus groups and collect a lot of data and and help companies look at this engagement problem as it pertains to particular communities of identity that are underrepresented or marginalized historically. So, you know, sadly, sadly, the experience is very different for some people and some groups of people in the same exact workplace. Um, So that's really interesting. Um, And how do we how do we remedy that? So, yes, so inclusion is starting to be on the foreground diversity is continuing. Um, some companies have dropped the word from like the title of the function. I don't recommend that because it can be experienced as kind of a devaluing of the concept. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's still very important to bring it along. But inclusiveness is the how. It's how you create the culture of belonging where everyone can thrive. Um, and so really, it's a, it's a leadership behavior term, I think. And then I just said belonging, and I think you might have mentioned it, but that's a new word, too, that's starting yeah. to enter the lexicon. <laughs> which I is, started to I hear that, we, and it really excites yeah. me. So, you know, the psychology nerd yeah. is like, yes, yes, we need to make everybody <laughs> yes. belong. And, and I hadn't thought of it <laughs> in this container of diversity and inclusion, and it's so exciting to start hearing it enter into the space. I agree. I mean, when you think about Maslow hierarchy, belonging mm-hmm. is such a critical step, right, in the process. We want to feel community we want to be able to do our best work and be comfortable enough to do our best work, which, by the way, you have to be comfortable and feel safe in order to contribute to that level, um, and which I think a lot of uh, underrepresented talent kind of doesn't in these subtle ways and a little bit more overt ways. Um, but yes, belonging, I think, really appeals to younger generations of talent. They, uh, they've always been somewhat mystified that we even need to be having, quote unquote, diversity training. Uh, they mm-hmm. come into the workplace having experienced, you know, very strong, like career moms, for example, um, certainly gender parity in the classroom, if not more girls than boys, you know, achieving certain degrees, you know, and then something strange like happens in the workplace when they come in, um, which causes a lot of people to kind of go underground. Um, you know, there are certain groups that get disempowered that were empowered coming through the schooling and education system, which is really curious. And I can also tell you as an LGBT person, which I am and have, I've been out for 24 years or so, um, many young people are also going back in the closet when they enter the workplace. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's this really strange, strange dynamic that's happening where we've got a whole generation of young people who've been super celebrated for everything that they are, but they get into the workplace, they look around, they sense like this intuitively sensing this um, exclusionary dynamic that's going on that requires them to play small, to hide, to to minimize, downplay their diversity dimensions. Because, you know, they look around and they don't, especially if they look up, they don't see themselves reflected or their values reflected. And this is a real problem for employers. So, Jennifer, um, there's so many great points in there. I I don't even know that we could unpack them all. 
in this amount of time that we have, right? But even <laughs> just thinking about what you're saying, you know, that there are people who don't feel represented, you go in and, and you're helping companies work. So how do these business leaders, even though they have a problem, you know, in some of the picture that you're painting, I'm thinking, wow, they're probably really unaware that there's a problem. Do they discover it on their own? Does someone point it out to them? What leads them to pick up the phone and, and call you and say, come help us figure this out? Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons. I get asked this question a lot because so many employees are wondering what is going to make this important to my leadership? Um, you know, how can right, we tackle exactly. it? Right, what mm -hmm. angle should we take? Because many times leadership is clueless, like you say, or, you know, apathetic or Thank maybe you. even resist mm -hmm. resistant, you know? So, yes. yeah, I think it's a couple things. Um, depends on the executive, honestly. Some are... Um, you know, there can be a CEO that's very committed, but an executive team that's kind of apathetic. And so the work is around uh, that that CEO motivating their direct reports to be accountable because that language makes sense to people at that level to say, hey, mm -hmm. we're doing this. We don't have a choice. Um, so get on get on the train. Um, right. There can be um, competitive pressure from peer companies or industry dynamics. So many companies, you know, they have big egos, particularly executives. So sometimes it appeals mm -hmm. to people to be have it pointed out that they're falling behind or their numbers or statistics right. are not, you know, not at the norm. Um, they're losing talent. They may really be feeling the heat of uh, not being able to attract and retain certain talent demographics. And so they may be uh, really having this kind of focus on um, we're not getting the best and brightest, which which works mm -hmm. because, you know, we all know how important that is to business. Um, and there may also be like lawsuits and headlines and oh, right. um, real problems that hit social media um, that door. are on the radar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. And I think mm -hmm. they they know it's, again, going to hurt their ability to attract and retain. And also with customers, you know, I think the marketplace is becoming more and more critical of companies that don't walk the talk. Uh, there's mm -hmm. more transparency of information. So we know, Absolutely. we know when a company's like pandering to us, but not necessarily doing right by us as a talent community or employees. We, we talk about that transparent market all the time on this show, right? All the you time, just cannot yeah. hide any longer, you know, That's so right. you might as well thing. just do what we all expect you to do. Wouldn't that and, be easier? Um, wouldn't that be easier, right? You know, right? I mean, that's what my yeah. grandparents taught me when I was, you know, four years old. It's just easier to do mm -hmm. the right thing. And it's a that's lesson right. that sticks. Right. right. Yeah. Right. No, fascinating, right? Lot, a lot of different areas where they could start to feel this in and, mm -hmm. and um, really examine what they're doing and how they're doing it. That's right. That's right. And they, you know, they could do it because it's and the right why? thing to do. I mean, wouldn't that yeah. be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the moral argument, I mean, we're, we're sort of, as consultants, we're, we have like the, the wisdom of the moral argument kind of beaten out of us because we always have to right. lead with a business case. We feel so much pressure to have this data-oriented argument and um, they just want endless facts and figures, you know, endless data. And, mm -hmm. it, and I have pointed to a million studies that are available. And it's, I don't need to show them where those are. They're out in the public domain. And they're done by right. companies like McKinsey and Deloitte and uh, Bloomberg and a lot of really respected EY. institutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and EY. Um, and yet, I think that the endless asking for data is like a red herring. It's basically a tool to distract and mm -hmm. deflect and delay. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> what needs to I be agree. done. Really? Right. And, you know, I, I often find my, like, why am I here? You're paying me not to talk about the why. We really mm-hmm. need to use my time and my team's time to talk about the how, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. let's get to work. So, right. Yeah. So important. I love that. Mm. Janet, we, you guys were just sort of talking about the whole concept of, of walking your talk. And I know Kelly mentioned that we do talk about that a lot. Like, companies can't get away with, you know, we always talk about your values can't just be a page on your website. How do you actually know? When you're in the company and you're sitting there for a week or you're interviewing for it, how do you know that this company is actually walking their values? And I think it's the same with inclusion. And Jennifer, I'm wondering if you have any either anecdotes from your own time as a leader or examples of, of companies that you've seen, you know, who's doing it well or what have you seen under this uh, umbrella of inclusion? You know, how have you seen people walk their talk? What are some actual positive sort of case studies almost that you've seen out there in the industry? Yeah, there are, well, I mean, gosh, advertisements right now are such an interesting space to watch, right? Right? Like (laughs) amazing stuff, you know, whether it's Nike or uh, Gillette, you know, it tends to be consumer product companies. Um, Mm -hmm. My my theory about that, of course, is they're the ones that live and die based on customer decisions, right? And Mm -hmm. any customer facing company knows that um, non-white, gay, female, I mean, we are the fastest growing, um, those who make buying decisions with the power of the purse. You know, we are the fastest right. growing markets from a customer Absolutely. perspective. So, so it's very, it's smart business, but, um, but they're taking it a step further. You know, I, I think for Gillette to tackle toxic masculinity was really super brave. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so appreciated. Uh, so anyway, there's the external piece that I think is admirable and, um, I think that if I were consulting to those companies, the question I would ask is, what are the internal workplace practices? You know, are those are those also something that you would be proud of? And 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 do those uh, that external and internal piece match? Some in some companies, um, I remember, I think it was Audi was crowing about its inclusion, you know, in a Super Bowl ad, and then it was discovered that there were no women on its board, for example, right? And so, <laughs> like a long moment where <laughs> it's Google, right? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So don't try to get the kudos without doing the work <laughs> internally mm-hmm. is one piece of advice. Uh, but then the companies that are doing well internally, it's interesting. I get asked, you know, which industries get it. And a lot of people think tech is really where it's happening. And I just would completely <laughs> disagree. Um, I, you know, I work with yeah. a lot. Of, no way. I work with a lot of banks and insurance companies, believe it or not. And I have to mm. say, the ins- I can think of three insurance companies right now who do multi-day offsite for white male leaders to talk about their inclusive leadership. And they literally wow. put hundred and I there's even defense contractors as well that I work with who are sending their male leaders offsite to talk about their role in an inclusive culture and environment. And I do not that actually see that gives happening me a lot of <laughs> Yeah, it does. Me too. I love it. And I, I mean, pound for pound, it is literally, I mean, I'm a, I'm a competitor of the companies that sort of offer that as an external mm-hmm. vendor, but pound for pound, it is literally the best use of a dollar that I can, mm-hmm. that I can imagine because, you know, leadership, these things come from the top and one small thing, one small action done by a leader or executive has this enormous ripple effect and impact on the culture and impact on the person you know, who's that, you know, early in career person who says, you know, do I belong here? You know, we're watching and we're listening to what leaders do and what they say. And 
even what they don't say. So we're constantly mm-hmm. tuned into that. So if you can change the mentality at the top and help leaders understand this is not just not just business bottom line, it's not just the moral argument, it's all of those things. And it's actually a good thing that's going to help you run a viable company. You know, it's, 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 it's critical to your very existence and your continuing, you know, thriving in the marketplace. And so if we had more executives that got that and knew what their role was in it, I think we could make much faster progress. You have to have the mind shift, the mindset shift, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. They, and this, but there is that retraining of the behaviors, behaviors that have been ingrained for generations mm. of business leaders oh, and gosh, chronicled, yes. right? You know, and oh. and so to to give the to give these leaders an opportunity to go off site and talk about it, I think is a necessary component because you've got to try to help them along the way too. This is very different. It's like saying, mm. okay, you're right-handed today, you're left-handed. You know, like now what? <laughs> you know, you have it's to kind so of give them that opportunity. <laughs> is what it seems like. And so I think that's yeah. an important step because if you don't have the resources to implement the plan and you don't have the right rewards in place, you know, the plan isn't going to be effective. Right. And I just think that's That's an essential component that I'm really happy to hear companies are focusing on. Thanks for sharing that, Jennifer. Yeah. It's, um, go ahead, Laura. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, with Kelly, like you cannot find a study that doesn't show that diverse teams outperform homogenous teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Kelly Mm -hmm. brings up, a really good point about, you know, it is exactly as she said, you know, oh, you've been right-handed all your life. Great. So you have to be left-handed. Well, we have to <laughs> probably take a slower approach. And, you know, I imagine that's challenging being, you know, coming from our side of the fence where we can see the advantages and, and Jennifer, particularly in your work mm-hmm. to not just be able to say like, just do it. Like, look at these things, just do the right thing. But, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, see, we told you, you just have to oh, do it this see. way. Exactly. Yeah, and then exactly. they just, just do yeah, it. Believe me. <laughs> Trust us. It's the right answer. Yeah. (laughs) It's really, you got to slow down. In consulting, we always say you've got to meet the client where they're at. You know, Mm -hmm. you might be ready for a 3.0 conversation. And yet, if the bulk of the people who you need to participate in change are at um, Mm 1.0, and that's, you know, my second book is very much, I think, geared towards that, which is, hey, we can't sprint ahead and leave all these people behind, particularly when the people we're leaving behind, I think, are kind of mystified about what their role is in change right now towards inclusion there's a lot of there's a lot of fear hesitation opting out um i'd say like a lack of participation and then we have you know resistance you know active resistance although i don't i honestly don't think that's a lot of people i think it's more it's just more (laughs) a yeah i know i know i'm happy to report that's my opinion I, i mean unless it's really really hiding um, I do. I mean, there's people who send emails in some of my clients right to the top and say, you know, I don't agree with this diversity thing. I have religious issues with the fact that we're celebrating pride. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm being asked to reverse discriminate um, or I'm being reverse discriminated against. Um, they mm-hmm. believe that something is being taken away from them in order to extend more proactive opportunities to certain groups that are underrepresented. And so you'll hear some of that. Um, but I think, I think those are small numbers. They're very vocal and they get a lot of attention. Um, because I think, I think the people I, I support are when you get an email like that, it goes right to the top, you know, and, and that, that poor sure. person gets a lot of phone calls. Sometimes they even get a phone call from the <laughs> CEO, honestly. Yeah. 
it's sort of like, oh, goodness, <laughs> like, <laughs> the CEO is calling me and wants to have a little, you know, fireside chat about, you know, what it means to be a leader here at this company. So, you know, when you raise your hand about this stuff, you get on the radar screen of, of people. And usually the message you get is, well, guess what? You know, you're a leader in this org. This is what we believe. These are our values. This isn't going mm-hmm. to be changing. You know, this is something we right. we are committed to because this is what our world looks like. And we must reflect mm-hmm. that world in terms of our talent pool. And we must reflect that world in terms of the product we're building and who's around the table and how they're being listened to. And and right now we have a we have an imbalance, right? We have a preponderance mm-hmm. of decision makers and folks that have positional power on the org chart that look a certain way, that are are a certain gender or are a certain ethnicity. And that means that competitively we're at we're at risk. And so, you know, I would imagine that's the conversation that happens when that person gets a call from the CEO. And, you know, then they can opt whether to stay at that employer or not. You know, it's their choice. But -hmm. companies are allowed to and should set the terms about what are our values, why is it important to us, for our viability as a business, and that if you are a leader here, this is what we well, not just expect, you know, we're not going to just require you because if you feel like you're always being dragged, kicking and screaming towards this stuff, you're probably not working for the right company. <laughs> you know, you might want to think about other options. But but honestly, that is like such a anomaly. I think the majority are are just paralyzed, I'd say. Um, you know, the, the Me Too climate has unfortunately, and I don't think it's it's right or wrong, but it's it's resulted in people being very hesitant around mm-hmm. a lot of inclusive behaviors. And um, I regret right. that. And then there's a study out of Lean In uh, that they repeated from last year that shows actually the fear and the trepidation and the hesitation amongst male managers is even worse than it was a year ago. And so people are, I guess, they're reading the headlines and thinking, well, now I can't do anything. You know, I can't meet with my one-on-one with people I'm mentoring and I can't be seen here and I can't you know, show an interest in this kind of, you know, talent pool. Um, and that's, that's frankly, like really tragic because, I mean, those relationships are some of the most necessary relationships to shifting the demographic challenges that we face. Mm-hmm. Lost yeah. opportunity there that mm-hmm. will come as part of that kind of collateral damage of that type of um Fear yeah. and um, well, fear-based thought. We'll just put it under that category for today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might have gotten on a I might have gotten on a soapbox about that whole concept in a previous episode. But we'll just let it lie for today. Yeah, we'll just, Kelly, we'll just leave it time. there. Just leave yep, it there. Yep. yep. Kelly, take it over. <laughs> so now, so we've talked about some of the things that we really don't want to happen as a result of not having an inclusive environment. Let's talk about the things that um, we do want, the favorable outcomes. And I suspect you're going to talk about some good metrics for me because that makes me really happy um, about like <laughs> some of the, the bottom line metrics. But mm-hmm. I also suspect that there are some very unexpected favorable outcomes that come from this. And I'm hoping you can speak about both. Sure. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that diverse teams uh, create more innovation, right? They're more innovative. They're more productive. Um, that is, by the way, only true if they are managed for inclusion. So you can actually, mm-hmm. what's, what you have Thank to be careful you, about with that metric. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Don't just put people around the table. 
um, and check your box, right? Make sure right. that they that the process and the conversation is an inclusive one. And my um, the the saying in my world, I didn't make this up, but um, diversity is being asked to the dance, and inclusion is being asked to dance. And mm-hmm. I would take it a step further, being asked to dance, and like also, you know, be heard, you know, and really celebrated for your dance moves. <laughs> say, right. so, and that might you might you might argue that's belonging, right? You know, might argue that right. belonging is really that the comfort level you have to show your best dance moves, like bring your best game. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. I think that leaders have to kind of look at these these different stages of inclusiveness and make sure they're kind of attending to each one equally with that kind of attention. Um, some companies are. You know, companies like to set goals and targets, right? Gender parity by 2025. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, it depends on your culture. Um, so, you know, what gets measured gets done. And so I do think targets are healthy, uh, but it, they're not healthy unless you kind of really, really dig into how are we going to get there and you demystify mm-hmm. that because you can set targets all day long. But you've got to be careful what this measure gets done also incentivizes check the box behaviors. So you don't want people to just be moving people around or hiring people for purposes of meeting a metric. You know, you want them to right. set that person up for success. You want to make sure they're not um, put into a role that's an unrealistic stretch for them. Um, and then add to that the fact that they're the only, you know, whatever demographic or combination of demographics and they're not adequately mentored and sponsored, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a bad habit of doing that, and it's it's so harmful to the individual, and it's harmful to the effort, because then everybody points at something as like at like one person who didn't do well in the role and say, well, we tried that, and it didn't work. And so right. you know, what you really want, you want a full pipeline of choices of all kinds of people. You don't want to you don't want to have only one person, like only one woman, you know, that's being considered for, say, you're reviewing talent at a certain level and you're making some decisions about promotions. You know, you want a pool of candidates so that you can indeed choose the best person for the job. So um, mm-hmm. some companies require diverse slates of candidates um, defined, how, you know, however they, they decide to define it um, at certain levels of the company. Uh, certain companies are requiring um Performance reviews to include inclusion metrics, so not just diversity metrics, but actually sort of the how we've been talking about, so behavioral uh, behavioral report outs. Um, and that's, to me, it's all up to your people. I mean, are you an inclusive leader? You know, do you demonstrate this? Do you walk the talk? Um, there's self-report, and then there's a 360-style data gathering, which oh. is so important to say, you know, I think I'm inclusive, mm-hmm. but do other people think I'm inclusive? Honestly, sure. all that matters, all that really matters is what people say, say that their experiences of you. And we, right. we talk a lot about allyship in my world. And I like to say it's, it's all fine and dandy for you to say I'm an ally, but you're only an ally when others call you an ally, when others, mm. you have earned that in their mind and they refer to you as that, right? And so it's really important. We're always earning it, always. I'm still earning it. And I know that I have a lot of work to do to be called an ally is my goal. Um, so so to, to be called an inclusive leader by others is is really where you want to get to. And it's a culmination of tons of little things 
and also some really big things. Um, it's it personal work, it's public work, it's um, being open to feedback and learning and adjusting your language and your approach and 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 becoming somebody who is trusted by others. Um, and all of this is it's what's in my um, second book. I really try to get into the nitty gritty of like how do you how do you get this feedback? How do you adjust? How do you make sure you're de- you aren't so devastated by not doing something right? As an inclusive leader, that you sort of tuck your tail between your legs and and slink off, mm-hmm. you know, and never try again. Sure. Um, a lot of this is trial and error, particularly if you're not from a marginalized identity. It is going to be that much harder for you to cross over and to offer meaningful support that matters to others. Um, that's something we all have to learn how to do. And you were talking earlier, we are literally redefining what it means to be leaders these days. Like mm-hmm. I, I really think those who are at the top of the org chart probably know the least about what it means mm-hmm. to be inclusive leaders because they've got the least amount of direct experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I even talk a lot about reverse mentoring. I talk about how can we flip, how can we flip the hierarchy of the workplace to ensure that learning is traveling laterally, you know, that we, right. that we don't assume that all the knowledge about everything we need to know lives at the top. And this is kind of one of those flaws in mentoring as it's traditionally practiced, you know, and I think more and more, we've got to be asking the question, well, where does the knowledge live? And I the knowledge love that idea. <laughs> I've never heard of that whole concept of reverse mentoring. And I'm just like, oh, that is so because you're right. You know, I think in a lot of companies, especially even companies that, you know, the Audi example you gave earlier, Jennifer, was great. But just thinking about there is diversity to a certain level in the leadership. But once you look at, you know, their board or the C-level, it's largely just a lot of white men still. So how can like that reverse mentoring it's such a great concept. And yeah, and I love that idea of like bringing in like, let's, you know, talk about a way of creating inclusion, like let's educate the people who are at the highest levels who have been around the longest that maybe are the least familiar with all of these concepts, like let's pair them with somebody who does come from a less represented community or is newer to the space in whatever reason. And like, I just think that's awesome. And, and I'm going to guess that that is that a, um, a topic or a concept from your book, how to be an inclusive leader? Yeah, I do talk a bit about it. And then I also have a white paper, which we could hopefully list in the show notes. Sure. Uh, called, yeah, it's called Reversing the Generation Equation. And it documents a Bank of New York Mellon reverse mentoring program um, that has been very, very cool. successful. Yeah. And there are executive mentees and millennial mentors. Um, and obviously I the mentors are more diverse mm-hmm. than the executive mentees. Um, and that's not surprising. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. been so powerful on both sides. Really incredible. Amazing. You know, and there's like Whatever, a, thank a, you. Sorry, Kelly, go ahead. That I was just gonna say there's a, a like a, a loose physical parallel to that too, because with the brain, you know, what their understanding of the brain is the brain is constantly sending out messages. Think of that as your leadership, right? And sending out messages to different area, do this, you know, raise your mm-hmm. hand, blink your eye, right? But they also believe that those components send messages back to the brain and will tell them, yes, I'm here and I'm, I'm raising my hand right now or I'm blinking my eye. And when there's a disruption in that communication, that's when things start to go bad within the body and especially around like muscles and things like that. And so when you, when I was listening to you describe that, I was thinking of it in the same way, like how valuable 
to get a message back from the people who are doing it, right? <laughs> as, as a leader, you know, and the people who are in the field to say, yeah, like this is, you know, we're communicating a goal, an objective, a strategy, an aspiration, something that we want for our organization that hopefully benefits all of us. And we need to have something back from you, which to me breaks the whole paradigm of the leader coming down off the mountain with the stone tablets and saying, and this <laughs> is how it shall be done. <laughs> that is right. There needs that to be a lot more listening. <laughs> really good. Amazing. So Jennifer, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. I know your book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, comes out in August. So we'll obviously link to that in our show notes. So folks and can easily click through and get all of the awesome goodness from your brain. Laura, thank I'm going to jump so in. Much. Is that a Barrett Kohler publication? It is. It is. Is your book coming out for Barrett Kohler? Okay, so shameless plug because they're a certified B Corp and I mention them as frequently as I possibly can and on our show. But yeah, no, they're a great organization. They've got a great line of books. I'm thrilled to know that you're part of their lineup. So Mm. this is great. I would really share it give them a can get a at that. Yeah, I I would give them a shout out and I introduce authors to them all the time. Um, they're in Oakland, California. They're an incredible group of people. Mm I just feel so supported as an author and particularly their editorial process is incredible. So I just got so much good feedback. They really take their time with writers and mm-hmm. make sure um, that we are writing something that's going to really make sense globally as well. So they have like arms and legs all over the world. They've translated a lot of their books in many different languages. So uh, I felt I really grew through the experience of working with them and they're just darn nice people. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, I've, yeah, I that's know great. some other folks who have books out, you know, traditionally published books, and, and that feedback has sounded different from their seat. So that's nice to know. And, mm-hmm. and Kelly, awesome that they're a B Corp. Thank you so much for noting that. Mm-hmm. Yay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. As if so you could stop me, right? <laughs> <laughs> what else are you excited about? What do you want to kind of leave folks with? Either, you know, a takeaway or a small step that people can take to kind of amp up their inclusion or something that you're excited about in the next coming months for you and your company? Mm, Thank you for asking that. Um, You know, we are building an assessment tool that's going to Mm. be shared with the book. So there's going to be a URL that's in the pages of the book. And I just recorded my audio book. So I mentioned it a bunch in the audio book as well. It's inclusiveleaderthebook.com. And we are going to have an assessment up there that gives you a sense of how how you are and where you are in your inclusive leader journey. Literally, all, not giving you a score, but letting you know in our four stages of the inclusive leader continuum, where are you generally? And that's so helpful because I think people get, like we were talking about earlier, paralyzed, overwhelmed. There's so much to learn. It can be very defeating to think about how am I ever going to, you know, say LGBTQ plus <laughs> and mm-hmm. know what all those letters mean or, you know, to be an inclusive leader, language is a huge part of it. So the assessment uh, asks you questions about language and mindset and practices on a day-to-day basis and gives you a sense of where you are so that you can kind of dive into that particular chapter and think about, okay, how do I put one foot in front of the other and not necessarily assume I need to be an inclusive leader tomorrow? Because that's, it's almost impossible. It's its like jumping into a marathon without having really trained for months. Um, it would be like you me know, jumping yeah. into a marathon. Let's get real. Yeah. <laughs> or me. Not good. Like to 1K. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so um, so anyway, so please, you know, I tell your readers, please go take that assessment, uh, yeah. find out where you are on our tool, and then read the book, and you can, it'll just help you kind of locate your energy, and also feel okay about where you are in the journey, because there's no right answers, you know, it's all just about forward movement. I think that's the commitment mm-hmm. I really would like to see more than anything else. Yeah, forward movement. Here's to a... Here's the here, forward here. movement on uh, the journey mm-hmm. of uh, inclusivity in corporate America. Thank you so much, here, Jennifer Brown, for being here today. Thank it's you. amazing to talk to you. As Kelly and I say this so often, I feel like we could probably talk for the next three hours, but we'll, uh, we'll let our listeners actually get to their work. And, <laughs> and just thank you so much and excited for you, you and, and continued success and, and for the launch of the book and the Inclusive Leader of the Book assessment on, uh, on that website. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Thank you, Jennifer. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business, designed to bring out the best in you and your company. We welcome your reviews and ratings and would love to hear from you. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions through our online form at doinggoodbusiness.com. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Doing Good Business Podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting for all of your coaching and talent acquisition needs, and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you incorporate the social business paradigm into your company. Learn more about us and our respective services at the Doing Good Business website. Thanks again for listening, and remember to expect good things from everything you do.